0: I think on the note of failing as an intern, there's just no space for you to fall into that experience because of how fast paced the medical culture is. There's no room for you to kind of process or wallow or get overly caught up in one failure because the whole force of the medical culture is just driving you to jump from the next task to the next task to the next task and In some way, that's quite detrimental to our emotional well-being and state of health, but it also then keeps you driving and those things that you endure or feel responsible for because we all have high expectations of ourselves. And when we make a little failure, it feels like the whole world, Mm -hmm. but it's just going so fast.
1: Hello, you are listening to the High Performance Nursing Podcast with me, Liam Caswell, where I help clinicians just like you take control of their careers and remove all the things stopping you from achieving your biggest goals. Let's dive in. Hello and welcome back to the High Performance Nursing Podcast. I'm so excited that you are here today giving us your precious, precious time. We have a phenomenal guest, fellow colleague, fellow Australian, and medical colleague, actually. I think you're our second doctor on the podcast, so super excited to chat to you. Welcome, Dr. Hannah Royster, to the podcast. How are you?
0: I am wonderful. Thank you so much for having me.
1: Of course. I'm so excited to dive in. You guys are in for a treat today, and I thought that we could explore... The side of healthcare that maybe we don't know so much about, even though we work so closely together. So, before we dive in, let me tell you a bit about Hannah. Hannah grew up remotely in far north Queensland. I haven't been up there yet. I'll need to get up there when I get back to Australia. Hannah overcame deafness, epilepsy, and brain cancer to go on to find a passion for writing and medicine. Despite all the challenges that Hannah faced, you still did all the work and got into medicine and medical school. And has recently published her fictionalised memoir about her Australian hospital internship titled Intern, which until earlier, I didn't quite get that, but then I got it. Hannah has worked across far north Queensland as she did her internship up there. She's done a psych reg and she's sampled in her career, which I love. She took a gap year last year to write a book, which we'll be talking about today. And she's about to start GP training next week, which sounds like a hoot. <laughs> and I'm sure all of the other things as well. So tell us, Hannah, as we dive in, tell us what got you into medicine. Why did you choose to become a doctor? I think that's a good place to start.
0: Mm-hmm. My complete and honest reason for getting into medicine and becoming a doctor is I had a crush on a boy and I put it down to impress him.
1: <laughs> I <love that. laughs> I did not expect that. <laughs>
0: Yeah. So after I'd come out of that phase of being like quite unwell and going through brain surgery and rehabilitation and having not been in school for most of primary school, started high school, failed every subject. And I just told myself at the time it was because I had a chunk of my brain missing and there was no way I would ever be one of those smart kids. And even though I worked really hard, it wasn't about the fact that I didn't try hard. It was about the fact that my brain was missing. And that was really assuring for 12, 13 year old me. And it gave me a little piece of peace. And then it wasn't until I was 15 that I got my first A and that actually completely blew up that opinion I had of myself. So then I was like, oh damn, I can actually do this. So I worked my butt off, pushed myself really hard, worked on those like personal bests academically. And that really built up my self-confidence. And because I was Then high achieving, people started to put these different careers in front of my face. Oh, be an engineer, be a lawyer, be a doctor because you're high achieving. So therefore you should be doing these things with your life. And at 15, 16, what did I know? And the sister of this boy that I had a crush on was like, oh, you should become a doctor because that'll really impress him. And I was like, okay, it's good enough for me. My career path was born.
1: I love that so much. Now the question on everybody's lips is, is he still your boyfriend?
0: (laughs) No, not
1: at all. There you go. (laughs) I love that. I've got to say, one thing that I have noticed in researching your book and looking at your website and learning a bit more about you and listening to the amazing podcast you did with our friend of the podcast, Dex, is your amazing ability to take adversity and to kind of run through it and move towards a goal. And you're probably in the moment not thinking that's what you're doing. But talk us through how you go through all of that and then still achieve what most people think is never possible, right? Most people have goals of becoming a doctor and they maybe don't make it happen, right? There's lots of people that don't make it happen. But despite all of these kind of obstacles that you had, here you are and it was there and you gave yourself permission to just go all in and give yourself the opportunity. What do you think that is?
0: Yeah, going deep right away. Ah. I think I've always expected high things of myself and therefore I've always pushed myself to get back on the horse and I think because I have extremely high expectations of myself I never accepted a sort of smaller version of my reality like I never was okay with being the epileptic that would never drive a car or do any of those sort of things. And then, you know, I guess I kept then stepping into new levels of myself. And every time I stepped up, I then gained a new expectation. And I think part of that was driven by like a level of insecurity. And then once I grew in my sense of self, I became okay with where I was at. And then it became less about running away from something and more about moving towards something.
1: I absolutely love that. And I think that there's a lesson there, right, for everybody listening in just trusting our own capacity to have in our life and our career, regardless of what's going on. You know, the things that happen are there. I always think of my burnout breakdown. And then I think, well, actually, it was a breakthrough for me, right? Mm. It was a breakdown, but it was a breakthrough because I then saw more scope. I was able to do more and I could see where my skills lay. And I think that's something that really resonated when I was reading through your website. I thought, oh, my goodness, wow. I talk a lot about, quote, unquote, failure resilience, failure tolerance in our careers. Most people come against an obstacle and they go, no, I can't, (laughs) right? And I think that in becoming a junior doctor, correct me if I'm wrong, that you kind of have to almost have that skill embedded in your psyche like you have to be somebody that's open to very visibly failing and trying things and you know exploring and succeeding and failing and succeeding and failing as we do as nurses but I'm curious what that experience was like for you because you're sh- you're sh- shining a light on what it's like to be a medical intern right so mm. your experience of being an intern
0: well I think on the note of failing as an intern there's just No space for you to fall into that experience because of how fast paced the medical culture is. There's no room for you to kind of process or wallow or get overly caught up in one failure because the whole force of the medical culture is just driving you to jump from the next task to the next task to the next task. And, you know, in some way that's quite detrimental to our emotional well being and state of health, but it also then keeps you. Driving and those things that you endure or feel responsible for because we all have high expectations of ourselves and type A personalities and perfectionism. And when we make a little failure, it feels like the whole world, Mm -hmm. but it's just going so fast. There's no room for you to kind of fall into that because you've got to get through that day of ward rounds and those jobs to tick off. And you've got to get home so you can biologically recharge because you've got to be there at 6 a.m. the next day. And then you're there every week and then you're probably there on the weekend as well. And then the rotation goes by and then you're into the next one. And where do you have space to kind of fall into those feelings of inadequacy? Or I mean, certainly we carry them and we carry that sense of imposter syndrome, but there's not really space for you to A, process that or B, overindulge it.
1: Yeah, wow. And I'm guessing, sensing from the way that you're speaking, that there's no kind of discussion about that there's no conversations that happen that say hey these are some of the things that you will experience are you set up to just kind of like experience that and you just got to navigate your own way what does that look like in the medical world because in nursing it's very similar we just become nurses and no one talks to us about the emotional impact of the job the stress the worry the fear the imposter syndrome the lack of confidence how do you talk to a doctor none of that stuff is covered. We're just kind of like expected to get on with it. And then of course we have hemorrhaging staff now because we're not caring for the individual. We're not caring for the human that's nursing or the human that's a doctor.
0: Absolutely. And from a junior doctor perspective, I think you get such little exposure to your regs and even less exposure to your consultants and you will meet them for the first time on your first day. And important things to you in that moment are how do I do this job what do you want from me what are your expectations what tick boxes do I need you know that it's about bloods and style of notes and imaging orders and which theater to send the guy to and even then there's not enough room for that because they're busy and there's a lot on their plate and a good registrar might sit down with his interns at the end of their first day because that's the only space there is and say, Hey, this is what the week's going to look like. And this is what I want from you, but you're only there for 10 weeks. So there's not a whole lot of space in that for you to build rapport with that person and feel safe to go to them with those sort of things that trigger you or don't sit comfortably with you, or you felt the heaviness of that patient crash or whatever it was. And then amongst other juniors, I think it comes out in humor. Like people make jokes about how crazy a day has been or how horrible something is. And that's the only way we've been modeled how to express not being okay mm. or to share kind of the overwhelming nature of what we do every day.
1: Yeah. I can deeply resonate with that. I think that in the nursing world, we use the word busy and I'll kind of joke about with that word. Cause I'm like, Oh, and I've never really thought about it until you just said that there, that Busy is an ex- possibly an expression of them just being like, you know, I don't know how else to explain or we'll connect with the feeling that I'm feeling right now. I'm just, busy is the only word that I have access to because it's just absolutely mental. And I don't yeah. know how to express this. That's really interesting because I had a bit of a joke with my team on my last ward where I said busy was banned. The word busy was banned almost because it was like, well, it feels so heavy, right, when we say busy. Like, it just mm-hmm. doesn't. Feel great when you think, oh, I'm so busy that I can't do X, Y, and Z. A bit of a reframe, but that gives me a new way of thinking about it. Thank you for sharing that. I'm curious about your experience, like because I've worked with doctors here across all different specialties. And it wasn't probably until the last year of my clinical practice as an unit manager where I worked in a subacute rehab board where it was a little slower pace, but it was still busy for the medical team that I kind of started to build more connection and rapport with the doctors there and got to see a couple of registrars come through that were amazing, right? They really supported their juniors and it made such an impact, not only just for the interns, but for the patients for the families, for the country, for my job as a student manager, like, I think we often forget that there's a connection between everything that we do. We all either compound it in a positive or a negative way. What are some of the challenges that you experienced as an intern or that you've seen through your years that you think would surprise us nurses that maybe we're not fully aware of?
0: I think one of my biggest fears in my first week starting as a baby turn was I love that term. (laughs) (laughs) How I was going to get treated by the nurses. Like I was genuinely afraid of them. I was afraid that I'd do it wrong or get yelled at or wouldn't understand. Or I'd, you know, imposter syndrome coming through, embarrass myself or not know the answers. But I think once I actually got into the role, I realized that they're actually such a massive resource for junior doctors, especially when you're brand new on a rotation because they've worked on that ward for 10, 20 years Mm -hmm. and they know the ins and outs and they know what's expected of the junior doctors and they've seen them come and go. And like, for the most part, junior doctors in Australia, we go straight into medicine out of high school and, you know, we pop out like 23, 24 year olds and where they're making these big decisions and, your registrar's there with you for ward rounds and then they piss off the ward and it's just you managing all these patients who are actively dying. And that's terrifying. And sometimes it's just you're the only junior on your team and having even just having that familiar face of a nurse who you can like smile at in the morning and nod at on your way past as you're doing that cannula, I think makes a world of a difference. And I think once I started to invest in building almost like a friendship with the nursing staff. As soon as I hit the wards that really saved me so many times.
1: Yeah, we're not a bad bunch, you know, we're talking. are <laughs> <You're> really <not. laughs> It's funny because there are some nurses that even as a nurse, I'm like, oh, holy moly, I'm staying away from you, like you scare the shit out of me. But usually, you know, it's hard exterior and it's soft and fluffy interior, totally open to it, right? But I love that you mentioned that, like that connection and the rapport with nursing staff, because I think often we feel like, you know, there's a nursing industry narrative that we are less than and we are, you know. We're not as good as doctors. We only do three years and we should have more, blah, 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 blah. And, you know, that makes us feel like insignificant, especially there's a lot of discussion around enrolled nurses and registered nurses in Australia, like with the medical Associated, Like There's lots of things that happen there. We won't dive into that today. But what do you think nurses could be doing? What could we do more to support junior doctors or doctors in general?
0: I think probably one of my better done terms, I had this very loving and nurturing nurse unit manager who would come into the d- junior doctor office and check in every once in a while. And, you know, she learned all of our names on the first day and she would occasionally bring around boxes of chocolates and she'd check in and she knew the reputations of all the consultants. So she's like, oh, you've got that one, nudge, nudge. And so she really humanized our experiences and she was very much someone that I felt like I could go to right from the start because... Yes, yeah, so you might have that consultant or that registrar that's prickly as, and having, you know, the numb that I could go to and kind of be like, oh, did you no. say that? Just, so, you know, it got you through.
1: Yeah. So I I think- like, humanizes the process, right? Because sometimes you are just like, did they just say that and then leave? And like not give any plan or remember, like, <laughs> doctor's head's just peeking into my office being like, Liam, what the hell? <laughs> what <are we> doing? <laughs> Why can we not get this patient out of the hospital? And I'm like, I know they should have been three weeks ago. Why are we keeping them here? So I can totally relate to that. That's hilarious. Tell us more about your burnout. You mentioned that at the start, right? You've been through burnout. I think burnout is, you know, I think everybody's adding it to the resume, like, because it's the reality. Like, that is just the global reality of healthcare right now, given what we've gone through over the last few years. What was burnout like for you as a doctor? It already sounds like looking from the outside, looking into medicine from a nursing perspective. I'm like, oh my goodness, how do you guys even do it? I genuinely think that we're busy and we've got all of the things to do, but I think that it's a next level experience. So tell us about your experience of burnout as a doc.
0: Interesting you should say that because it's actually a nurse that validated for me like the junior doctor experience because I think you guys have your little observer seat that's behind your nurse's station and you watch us like running from one end of the ward to the other between wards. And it was a nurse who said, Lof, I wouldn't want your job. And really like validated for me what I was going through and how like huge that expectation was because, you know, I was carrying the same expectation as all the other juniors and all the residents and the registrars and the consultants they'd been through my experience all worse, like maybe better, but probably worse, worse in my mind. And, you know, they were still here and standing. So I think it took me a long time to be okay with the fact I needed to take space from medicine. And I think I pushed myself to ignore that because I was very focused on everybody else and not actually listening to what was going on for myself. And writing this novel was a really beautiful excuse because it allowed me to a, do something I love, but B, take this year off and say, I'm going to give the whole year, write this novel. And it's kind of like, I use that as like my ticket out of there. Cause it's like, I'm not quitting. I'm just going to be over here for a little while. Yeah. And I think in medical school, there's not enough time for you to look up and really notice what you're getting into when you do those clinical placements, because- you know, you're worried about exams and you're just finding your feet and, you know, the stressful thing is working out how to talk to patients, let alone having space to kind of look around and observe what other junior doctors are doing. And it wasn't until towards the end of my final year in medicine that I started to actually ask the other interns and the other junior doctors what I was walking into because I started to really pick up on this recurrent humor Around the negative aspects of medical culture. And, you know, we used to joke, oh, it'll get better and stuff. And then people were like, oh, no, it won't. And, you know, everyone laughed about it. It was kind of like this commonly thrown around joke. And I was like, geez, I'm hearing this all the time about how terrible this job is. And when I started to talk to people about it, they were like, oh, yeah, no, it ain't great. Wouldn't recommend medicine to anyone. But, you know, I'd already done this degree, I invested six years to get there. And so I decided I'd give internship a go. So I did term after term. I just kind of took it day by day. And I think in that time, you're a glorified secretary, but you're also expected to manage a resource at the drop of a hat. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it's not a great year, got to be honest. I mean, I'm sure some people have had a great year in their internship, but there are definitely hard times and, you know, it's a big ordeal. And then you go into your residency and then you register our years and the race is so fast and you're quite, you know, you're stuck on the hamster wheel and there's not really any opportunity for you to kind of like sidestep and you don't really hear about people taking time off unless you manage to bump into a locum and then they're like, oh yeah, this is the great life. But you know, unless they cross your path, all you have around you is what you think there is. And that's, you know, people in the slog who have done it from day dot and kept going. So you have to be pretty intentional about inquiring to find those other paths.
1: Yeah. It sounds very similar to nursing, right? Like it's very similar process in the sense that you have to get super curious about what's possible in your career. No one's kind of openly sharing you what you could do. It's like you work in the hospital or you, what else do you do? There's such limited kind of thought processes around what's possible in nursing careers. But I just want to go back to that idea of for everybody listening, you're 23, 24, you're on awards, everybody's looking at you, and you're running a recess. And the reg is, quote-unquote, on their way, probably azuki finishing their croissant. <laughs> Maybe. Right? And the consultant, we can't get them on the phone. Oh, my goodness. So I feel that pressure in my body right now. Like, I feel that. I've got sweaty palms, and I can't even deal. That clearly, it's evident that most people are not set up for that from a psychological standpoint, Right. You might have the tangible skills. You might know your ALS back to front and you know all of the things. But that is terrifying. So terrifying. Yep. Yeah. For you guys listening that are not watching this, you are both like just staring at each other, nodding our heads being like, yeah. Oh my God, I can't. I need a moment, I think, after that. But I think that what it does as a nurse is it gives us perspective when we're in those moments, right? Because we do have high expectations of the doctors that are there because we're also nine times out of 10 have skill gaps, i.e. we haven't been sent on that course yet because we can never get away from the wards. So we haven't done the thing, right? And then we're like looking to the people around us. And we have a bit of a culture of just promoting people for the sake of promoting them in nursing, you know, not because they're so great and because they've been there for 20 years, which, you know, works sometimes, but most times it's not the right fit. So then we have people that have de-skilled and all of the things. So you can see why, right? You can see why all of the Swiss cheese holes align. And we have these incidents with our patients in the culture that we have today. It's brilliant. Yeah. <laughs> it's bigger than Ben-Hur, right? For us to be able to tackle that and explore. Okay. So you mentioned this on your website and I'm sure you talk about this in the book, but you talked about being in medical school and a couple of your colleagues committing suicide. And Talk to me about that experience for you, because I've had a similar experience in nursing, not close colleagues, but I've known people in my hospital that have decided to take their own life because of different circumstances, bullying and harassment in nursing. Talk to me about that experience for you.
0: Well, obviously so many elements there, but certainly my character reflects a little bit on this in the novel, that sense of vulnerability, because, you know, they are you essentially, they are a carbon copy of a junior doctor, they're An intern. And had you picked a different straw out of the hat for a different rotation, you might have had the exact scenario that they had, which may or may not been the final brick leading to them deciding to end their life. And that makes you feel very vulnerable in a system that is designed to support you, but you already feel so unsupported by it because you've already had your own experiences or you've heard of other people's experiences where unpleasant inappropriate things have happened to them and they've tried to seek help and they've been brushed off. And certainly I've had my own versions of those experiences. And I would consider myself very well supported from family and friends and colleagues. And, you know, it is an eye opener. And also this person who did commit suicide, I didn't see it coming. And I think as doctors, we're very good at masks. We're very good at keeping it all together because that's what we're taught. We're taught to not carry around that heavy patient case. We're taught to leave it at home. We're taught to put our personal stuff aside for the job. And then we also do it for each other. And I think also it's very difficult to admit that you're not okay or that things are hard because nobody else around you admits that as a junior doctor in this high comparison, high expectation environment where everyone's running a thousand miles to get to that next step of the ladder so that they can keep going because the expectations are always moving. And, you know, you might be average Joe or average Jane who popped themselves out of medical school and was like, that was a lot of hard work, but I'm here. And then the person next to you is like, oh yeah, I just finished my PhD and I'm running a charity and I'm, oh yeah, doing a marathon next weekend, want to come? And you're like.
1: <laughs> totally. Yeah. Surrounded by high performers that are all trying to do, you know, do themselves and each other. Yeah. It's so interesting that you talk about the masking, right? And that that lack of vulnerability. And it's so interesting because we kind of almost every day command vulnerability from our patients, right? Like we want them to open up. And it's interesting. I wonder, I do get curious sometimes about how much quicker we could solve problems in healthcare if we ourselves embrace vulnerability and openness as a clinician, right? And didn't have that mask on and didn't have that, I'm the doctor, you know, some consultants like I'm the consultant and I'm here and I need to be this power figure. As you were talking there, I'm like, no, we need to like rehumanize healthcare. That's what we need to do because we've like become so task focused, so task orientated that we've kind of all kind of almost forgot right? Like why we chose to do what we do. Absolutely. Because we love our patients and we love caring for people and gifting and giving, but we're just so reluctant to give ourselves permission to be vulnerable. It's so interesting. That's why I love all of Brene Bryan's work and that's why I love coaching and all of that because it just allows us to check back in, right? And be like, hold on a minute. I've been a nurse for 12 years and I'm burnt out. Why is that? It's because I'm out of touch with the humanness that is me. And I'm just on this wheel of, I need to be there. I need to be the director of nursing. Who says? (laughs) Right, like, I think, people, everybody listening, you give yourself permission to do what Hannah did beautifully, which is I'm going to take a year because I get to decide and I work ninety thousand hours in my life and I'm going to make sure mm-hmm. that it serves me and that it's mm-hmm. all I want. Fine. So, yeah. so interesting. How do you think we could rehumanize nursing and medicine? Because...
0: <laughs> um...
1: <laughs> I just saw it out there. How can we rehumanize it?
0: I think that element of making friends with each other. Or at least certainly that helped with me, you know, making friends with my colleagues or the other nurses. It breaks down those barriers and then it's not about the job. It's about that kid's birthday party and then the job. Or, you know, maybe it's about the job and then the kid's birthday party. But, you know, there's that, then there's that human in it. And, you know, when you're going to work, you've got those relationships or those dynamics that you can build on and it really, it breaks it all up. And I think, yeah, you know, we're community driven beings and we've lost so much of that just in like our own Western culture with technology and social media. And I think if we can gain that in the workplace, that just takes that small slice of pressure pie off of your shoulder and it might help the situation a little.
1: Yeah, I think that it's the missing piece. I think that for the nursing industry, you know, I can only speak from my experience that we really need to invest in building better connection with each other and building better rapport so that we can support each other in those moments. And I think it's so rare to see, I'm curious if you've seen this, not that it's a measure of vulnerability, but, you know, like a a nursing manager or a director of nursing or a consultant, like, be visibly emotional or like just be the human that they are right because I think we so often take the patient down to the mortuary and we just move on to the next task because if it was just like Mm. went to calls and we bought (laughs) there was no bananas so we bought apples instead and we're so flippant about it like it's so just weird isn't it and it just doesn't allow us to process and sit with that and experience the human experience in that moment and we just move straight on to the next thing have you experienced a lot of that in medicine have you seen a lot of vulnerability across your internships?
0: Very small amounts, I think. And they are all my favorite consultants that I've ever worked with who have been able to give that to me. And, you know, maybe they haven't cried in front of me, but they've validated the way, you know, observing a loss or being part of a patient loss would make you feel as a general human being, let alone the clinician that's worked with them for six weeks and has tried to get them somewhere and build relationships with their family and certainly I've had bosses and registrars who have allowed space for that but in the same sense I've also had supervisors registrars consultants who weren't there at all or brushed it off or made me feel strange or weird for bringing it up or making a comment or having an emotion
1: So interesting, isn't it? It's as easy as, like, I see that this is really difficult. You know, it's as easy as one sentence that I see you. I feel your pain right now. and think this is really hard. do stop. It's just, like, why can we not offer this to ourselves? I'm so glad that you're doing this work and in publishing the book and, you know, you've ta- that you've taken this time to gift this to future interns, right? And future baby turns. What a beautiful offering to the medical world and for us nurses as well to come and read and explore. So tell us more about the book. Tell us more about Intern and all the things.
0: Well, it started out as just me sort of doing it for my own mission to get me through the day and get me through my own internship because during my surgical rotation, I would have these experiences. I think these are more unbelievable than any fiction that I could imagine in my mind. Like I never imagined I would be in these scenarios. Like I'd never imagined someone would speak to me in that way and nobody else would react. And I never imagined that those kind of things would be spoken to me and I never imagined that I would see these things and I never imagined I would be in these scenarios like I thought these scenarios were supposed to have gone out of fashion in 1960 but here we are today and so I started to write about them a to process them for myself but also because it kind of gave me that observer seat in my day-to-day because I thought you know what this experience is really shit, but it's great content. And I'm going to write about it one day. And yeah. so you can keep speaking to me in that really disregarding manner, sir, but you know what? You're going to come up as a fictionalized character. And so, <laughs> <I love that. sighs> yes. so it really got me through. And then it wasn't until a colleague suicided that I actually thought I could do something with this. And this could be, like my way of having an impact because a few of my friends, they were like running sit-ups for mental health and, you know, putting on lunches and, you know, everyone was like, well, what can we do? This was my way. This is what I could do. I'm a writer. I published a book. And, you know, even if one junior doctor reads it out there or nurse and thinks, oh damn, I felt imposter syndrome and oh, this is bringing up memories. And hey, this character, you know, is going through the same things that I'm going through because those are my processes that's my real experience and just to know that somebody else in the world you know went through something similar and got through the other side so that's why I decided to turn it into a book and publish it
1: that's incredible from a career coaching perspective I'm just like nurses that are listening much value (laughs) in knowing your strengths and knowing what lights you up right? Because it becomes your career superpower. It becomes the thing that you lean into, that you run with. And, you know, mm-hmm. through the adversity and the traumas that we go through and all of the things, there is something beautiful in creating something that, you know, you can offer back to the world. And we all have our own unique way of doing that. And many people that I talk to that might be listening think, oh, I'm just a nurse, you know, that dreaded line of just a nurse dog. But you're not just a nurse. Maybe you love theater. Maybe you love writing. Maybe you love sport. And you can use all of that to convey a message to people should you want to have an impact in your own unique, beautiful way. I absolutely love that so much. So I cannot wait to get a copy of this book. I'm getting it straight after this interview. Tell us about how we can get a hands on it.
0: So it's currently only available on Amazon and you should be able to get it on any Amazon platform. If you just look up intern, two words, I-N-T-U-R-N, H.g. or if you find my social media, the links will be there. My Instagram is h.g.royster. Or my Facebook is Hannah Grace Royster.
1: Amazing. That is so good. So I will pop all of that in the show notes and you're all compelled. <laughs> all forty thousand listeners of you. <laughs> Thank you, all book, of you. I get this a copy of this book. Awesome. We we love, you know, connecting and supporting other healthcare professionals in pursuit of especially something that is so important and so close to us, you know, anybody that's listening, that's a nurse, that's a writer, there's a good idea for you for a nursing version of this kind of book, right? Because we just don't hear it, see it. I love that so much. So we'll pop all of that in the bottom there. Now, I love to finish podcasts with a bit of a rapid fire, bit of fun (laughs) to lighten it up as we leave. I've got a couple of questions for you as we wrap up. What would be your best piece of advice for nurses approaching doctors because we have lots of students and grads that listen to this, and it's one of their biggest fears.
0: Oh, really? Okay, I've certainly observed the dickhead, egotistic. Sorry, uh, my, I okay. to swear off no, <laughs> <laughs> the podcast. No, The junior doctor, usually male, to be honest. Yep. Full of himself, who just thinks he's all that in a bag of chips, or she, and <laughs> you know, is not necessarily polite or appropriate. So look, I feel you guys. I'm really sorry if that's been your experience. For me personally, I bloody loved it when a nurse was like, Hey, don't mean to stand on your toes, but you want to just take a look over there or, Hey, this is what we normally do. Or I noticed you prescribed this. Did you want to maybe look at this one? Honestly, it's saved my life. I love you all. I appreciate it so much. And I think if you, I think it comes back to the human behind it all you know Mm -hmm. if you take yourself off of the ego seat with the hard shell and you just approach with a degree of humanity and Mm -hmm. as a humble being and just be like you know we're all trying to gain the same thing here we all want to get through the day and come out as whole as possible after a shift and maybe save a few lives along the way then I think it takes the pressure off and I think that As a a young human being being approached in that way, it's so much easier to navigate than a force that comes at you with like demands and telling you how it needs to be.
1: Totally. I agree. And I've experienced that on the medical side, right? Where there's been a reg that walks into my office and it's like, I'm in the middle of a meeting, right? And they open the door and they're like, this needs to be done now. And I'm like, no, <laughs> out. <laughs> I'm in the middle of something, you know, like deal with it yourself. But I hear you. And I think I always teach, you know, students and grads, like, just be curious. Just be like, oh, did you mean to prescribe, you know, triple the amount of Panadol this morning? (laughs) Just be super curious, you know? I'm just curious. That always usually is a nice little segue into it. And, you know, doctors want to be asked questions. Like you said, you want to pick up on the things that potentially might not be going right. So love that. What's been your favorite specialty so far?
0: I mean, after I got over the crush of the boy, I thought I'd want to be a doctor because I really did enjoy pediatrics. But then once I actually got into the specialty... It was all a little bit too heavy. So then I kind of gave that up. And then I thought I'd do psychiatry and I did enjoy that, but it was also very heavy and it's a long road. So then I ditched that. And so now I'm going to try GP out, but I think it's not about the specialty for me. It's always been about the team that I worked with. And like, I've had horrible bosses in psychiatry and I've had wonderful bosses in psychiatry and it's not about psychiatry. It's about the team that I worked with. And so my favorite rotations in internship have got to be the ones that I had an awesome team with an awesome consultant who, you know, humanized your day, took you out for dinner, like indulged the human being that you are outside of the tick boxes and the ward jobs and the medical life.
1: Oh, I love that so much. Yeah. Beautifully said. If you could change one thing today in medicine, what would it be? Just one thing. <laughs>
0: oh just one just one
1: it's a big ask
0: trying to think of something really generic like the weight of it (laughs) (laughs) or yeah because it's all the little things isn't it it's Mm -hmm. like the crazy hours and the high expectations and the heavy patient cases and then the gross demoralization and
1: yeah
0: I think it sounds
1: like support to me the one word like kind of just sounds like support across all aspects it's the same in nursing yeah. like it's, what should we change today we should just start giving each other support especially yeah. from i do yeah. know that's what i'll be doing
0: yeah from bottom up
1: right yeah totally and final question what is your big 2023 impossible we talk about impossible goals in this podcast it's, oh my god it's such a huge goal it kind of feels a little like oh uh, what would that be for you this year
0: it would be to hundred percent see my novel as a New York Times bestseller and see it converted into a Netflix series.
1: Like- oh my goodness! I just got chills. I love that. That is kick-ass. Quote, unquote, impossible yes. goal, totally possible. Oh my god, that's incredible. Well, you know, when you're big and like you're famous and celebrity, all of that, all of the things, just remember us here at High Performance. I, say, <laughs> I love that so much. No, thank you so much for coming on today, sharing your story. I think it's so powerful for us to hear the other side. I think that we could do more work day to day in sharing our stories because we do have very similar lived experiences. But thank you. And please go and follow Hannah go to the website, get the book. It will be linked there. I'll share it all on social media and check in and message her and let her know how you find the book and engage. So, so important, especially when you put something mm-hmm. out of the world, right? It's kind of like your baby. You're like, oh, I'm offering it to yes. the world. I hope you guys like it. I'm sure it's fabulous. Thank it's a very you.
0: Very so- vulnerable story. And I would really so love to hear from people who've read it and how it made them feel or what it brought up for them. Honestly, that is what keeps me going since I published the novel and all the insecurities that come up with putting out your, even though it's fictionalized, it's still, you know, my story and having people come back and say, hey, thanks for this. It has made my world.
1: Totally. Well, it's such a beautiful demonstration of the vulnerability that we're lacking, but Like, it's such a beautiful way of just demonstrating that um, and leading by example, which we're all for here at Hard Performance Housing. So thank you so much. Until next time, everybody, stay safe and stay forever curious. And we will see you in the next episode. Thanks, Anna. If you enjoyed listening to this podcast, you have to come and check out our high performance nursing membership, my monthly coaching program, where we take what we teach in this podcast and we take it to the next level to help you thrive as a high performance human and a nurse. Join us at liamcaswell.com forward slash HPNM. I would love to see you in there. I'll see you in coaching.